I think the nice thing is people are looking at nutrition now and saying, wait a minute, maybe they weren't right about that either. You know, as we're seeing the, the sort of the push to the plant-based diet and even the insect-based diet, insects are disgusting for a reason. One of the things I tell people is I don't know if the climate has changed. I have no way of really determining that myself. I can't walk outside and say, oh, it looks like the climate's changing because it's raining or it's snowing or it's got hot. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can look in the mirror and I can say, hey, look, I feel better. I, I, you, know, I, you know, everything is better for me, I mean, and no one can hide that from me. You know, no amount of gaslighting is going to make me not understand that I'm healthier. I think that's, that's a valid way to do that. This episode of the podcast was sponsored by Betterfed Beef, the company that has saved me from just eating lamb. Lamb was easier on my stomach because I can't tolerate aged meat, so I ate lamb for two years on the lion diet, which I did because it's easier to be healthy than it is to eat yummy things. Health is always easier than eating yummy things. But wow, is beef so much better than lamb. This cattle farming company, Betterfed, produces extremely consistent and tender beef. If you've had trouble finding great beef in the past, your search is over. Betterfed's cattle farms are managed by 17 different families across the Midwest who love and personally care for the cattle themselves. Betterfed beef has the best tasting beef I have tried out of a box, and I have tried a lot of them, probably most of them, over the last five years of doing this diet, most of them. You need to get variety when you can on this diet, so trying different companies is my variety. Betterfed are by far my favorite. They have an insane number of options to choose from, like the backyard barbecue box, tomahawk ribeyes, whole muscle ground beef, skirt steaks, ribs, and a lot more. Even if you're not on the lion diet or the carnivore diet, everyone can get healthier by eating more. And this is great tasting beef. Why would you not eat it? My listeners can get 25% off their first order, which is crazy, by going to betterfedbeef.com and using promo code MP at checkout. Their website's betterfedbeef.com. These guys are the bomb diggity. I hope you enjoy this episode. Dr. Sean Baker, welcome back to my podcast. Mikhail, thanks. Good to be back. Good to see you again. Glad to see you doing so well. Yeah, thank you. I am doing well. It, it's good. A huge part of that is because of diet. Most of that is because of diet. Um, but before we get into that, can you give a brief background about who you are and what is it is you do for anybody who's not familiar with who you are? Well, yeah, my, my name is Dr. Sean Baker. I am by training an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, about 10 years ago, I got interested in diet and nutrition for my own personal reasons. Uh, sought a lot of benefits, you know, tried different variations of very different, all kinds of different diets, ended up with a low carb diet. Um, at one point I went on a ketogenic diet, started to see a lot of improvements on patients that I was trying it on that had various orthopedic conditions and seemed to help significantly with joint pain. Eventually I, uh, you know, discovered a group of people that were doing an all meat diet and I started doing that myself, even as crazy as it sounds, this is about a little over six years ago. And, um, you know, if you wrote a book called The Carnivore Diet, I actually named this thing The Carnivore Diet, you know, what before it was called The Zero Carb Diet, I think. And I've been eating, you know, basically a pretty much a all-meat diet or very close to it for the last uh, six plus years. And, uh, you know, I've been, been basically an advocate for, for meat in the diet. And we've seen, you know, as you know, thousands and thousands of people now that have resolved all sorts of health issues, you know, whether it's autoimmune conditions, whether it's gut issues, whether it's arthritis, whether it's 
mental health issues, you know, diabetes, on and on and on. So that's been where I'm at. I am the co-founder of a company called Rivero, and our mission is to reverse chronic disease, get people off meds. And uh, we are, you know, just at the point where we're scaling up and having a lot of success with that. So that's kind of me and, you know, in a quick overview. Okay. Amazing. So uh, as you know, the, the reason that I was comfortable switching onto a meat diet is somebody sent me your episode with uh, D- Joe Rogan many years ago. Mm. And I ha- I was at the point where I was eating like meat and lettuce, but I hadn't dropped the lettuce because I I'd, like at that point I was breastfeeding and I thought the lettuce was what was giving me the vitamins I like I needed. It's like, at least I have some plant in my diet and it wasn't working for me. And I was arthritic and depressed and I was itchy everywhere and I couldn't get my symptoms under control and it was just like oh yeah well there's this doctor he's been doing it for years and it was like that day where I was like okay good like if that's doable then I'll try it and so I'm coming up on five years of just eating ruminant meat which is part of the reason I had you back on five years time flies Still alive. Look at that. You haven't dropped out of scurvy or anything. It's amazing. No, I haven't. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about what you're doing with your company um, and also cover some carnivore basics for anybody who's looking to get started and just needs a little push. Um, But I think first, what exactly is Rivero and what are you trying to do with it? Yeah, so we are a digital healthcare company. Uh, you know, our goal is to basically take people that are sick, that are you know, normal, like you know, as, as opposed to the normal healthcare system, you go and you're sick, and most of the time you come out with some sort of medication, uh, maybe you get a procedure, and that's that's sort of the paradigm that we've been in now for the last you know 30, 40 years in medicine. And I think it's medicine has strayed away from its original course. It's now become really just a big business, and it's really kind of a you know, kind of a subcontractor for, for the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, most physicians, you know, they get all the training based, you know, from pharmaceutical companies that, that wrote a lot of the curriculums. Um, we, we, we found, as you know, I mean, there's ways to get people off medications and actually to, in many cases, reverse the diseases. And so that's our mission. So everybody that works for us, all our providers know from the beginning, that is the goal. The goal is to get these people off medications, get them truly healthy, as opposed to what, normally might happen. And so we, you know, we are, you know, we have a team of software engineers, we, we have uh, healthcare providers, we have, you know, coaches. One of the problems a lot of physicians face is, you know, maybe they want to try lifestyle, but they don't really, they're not really supported in that. There's no, uh, there's no sort of mechanism by which to get people, you know, the, the facilities and the, and the resources they need. And so we're going to be that. And so all of our physicians are on board. Uh, they're not afraid of people eating meat. Uh, in, in many cases, it will encourage that. And so that's uh, what we're doing. Uh, you know, we raised quite a bit of money and quite a bit of capital initially from crowd equity and then also quite a bit of venture capital money from that. So our goal right now is, you know, we're, we'll later this, you know, well, later this year, early next year, we'll start opening in several states. And then the goal eventually will be nationwide and, and hopefully globally uh, within a few years. So that is kind of the overview. Of wow. What we do. Yeah. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah, wow, that's huge. Uh, that would have been very helpful back in the day. Yeah, if I if I heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that that's uh that's fantastic. Okay, so people listening, if they decide they want to give it a shot, and they want some guidance, that's a place you can go to learn more about the diet. 
Yeah, and so you know, that's cool. It's also important because a lot of people are on medications. And, you know, you need a physician to prescribe medications. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people coming off medications can potentially, you know, run into trouble, you know, if they come off yeah. of diabetic matter and you know, hypertensive matter, some of the, you know, psychiatric meds, you know, you have to wean them sensibly and yeah. you know, legally you have to, you can't, you can't, you know, a health coach can't just say, Hey, stop taking your meds because that's considered uh, the practice of medicine. So we have, to, we have to set this up in the system, uh, you know, follow all the regulatory uh, rules that are in place. And, and so, but you need to, you do need a physician support because a lot of people that, as you know, they go on a carnivore diet and their physician doesn't support them. They tell them, Hey, it's yeah. crazy about this. You need to, you know, the funny thing is, you know, a lot of people say, well, why is it so bad? Well, I'll say, well, you know, you might be increasing your risk for heart disease. And you say, well, what do, what do all your other patients die of? And it's like, well, heart disease. So it's like, you know, why, why, you know, I've improved my quality of life. I've, you know, gotten off all these medications. I feel significantly better. And you're telling me I should stop because I might die of the same thing that everybody else died of. I mean, it's, it's just kind of crazy in my view. Anyway, having that physician. It's crazy. And as you know, and you, I know you've been maligned as I have, you know, so you didn't really have rheumatoid arthritis or you didn't have these things and you didn't walk around with a hip replacement or a vision knee or vision ankle rather. And I'm like, of course you did. Yeah. But, you know, when you have support and including physician support, the likelihood of you being successful goes up tremendously. And so we want to provide that support, support for people that want to do something like this. And, and, and just to be clear, Rivera is not going to be strictly carnivore. There's going to be people, there's going to be, different sort of nutritional therapies depending upon what the actual uh, position person's uh, circumstances you know and, and we were using a lot of these powerful uh, artificial intelligence algorithms to help figure that out because we've got lots and lots of data on people that have done these elimination diets reintroduce stuff and we see some people can do this safely some people can and it cool. really the individual person and the unique conditions you're dealing with that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Because um, when I first went on the paleo diet, and it was a very restrictive paleo diet, but it, it had cut, you know, everything processed, all grains, nuts, um, it included, including eggs and dairy, just anything that I thought I could be allergic to. I actually was in remission on that diet until I had a reaction and took a bunch of medication and had a pregnancy. And whatever that combination of reintroducing medications again and the pregnancy, then the paleo diet stopped working for me. I think that's, that's interesting because, you know, you do see these different conditions. So Michaela pre-pregnancy was different than Michaela post-pregnancy. Yeah. Technology has changed and therefore maybe your nutrition changes. And that's some of the things we can figure out, which I think is kind of neat. And the nice thing, you know, with the AI, it's adaptive. And so as we get more and more data, we can get more and more precise with, with what we do. And so that's, you know, like if somebody says, hey, you told me I could do this, this, and this, and one of those things didn't work. You plug that back in the algorithm, you find out what's actually unique about that person, you get more data than you refine it. So as time goes by, we get better and better, which is nice. Yeah, that's great. That's very helpful. Um, when I was trying to figure out what I was like allergic to or sensitive to, I had everything typed into a spreadsheet and it was a lot. There's a lot of information there and I wasn't I wasn't a robot. It's so yeah, it's kind of it's a yeah. nice thing with carnivores, it simplifies it, you know, because it can be very complicated when you're dealing with literally thousands of food choices. Uh, most people can't figure that out, never do. And you know, that's why I think carnivores yeah. is the ultimate elimination diet. And like you said, like you and I both know, it's, it's sustainable over the long term. If you want to do it for years and years, go for it. It's fine. It works. Cool. Okay. Um, so for people who are considering getting started and have concerns like um, 
well, first of all, I guess if you have a doctor that's saying, don't do this because your cholesterol is going to go up and all these problems, you can always switch your doctors and Rivero, there's a platform with doctors who can probably communicate with you better. But for people who are still in that position, um, what's, what's your opinion on the carnivore diet and raising cholesterol? Well, I don't think ignoring cholesterol and saying it's always fine if it goes up. I think that's that's not correct either. I think there's some nuance there. And one of the things is, you know, we can say that, you know, elevated, you know, particularly ApoB, which is the, the, the sort of the, you know, item of concern. If it goes up significantly, then that is an independent risk factor for heart disease. However, when we look at things that are in meat, you know, like, like meat is mostly monounsaturated fat. Meat has all these other compounds, carnitine, carnosine, creatine, taurine, all which have been shown to decrease risk of cardiovascular disease. In fact, there was just a study came out last week in the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology looking at saturated fat. And so there's really no evidence. They looked at all the evidence out there, RCTs, you know, uh, prospective epidemiology cohort studies, on and on and on. And they said there's really no real evidence that saturated fat leads to an increase in cardiovascular disease and you know, MI, strokes, any of that stuff. And so um, I think I think generally, um, if you go on the diet and you tend to lose weight and you get healthier and all your markers come down, and we see that often, you know, the blood glucose normalizes, the inflammatory markers normalize. You know, we hear from sort of the, the, the plant-based camps how inflammatory meat is, but you and I both know it's anything but. It, it decreases inflammation significantly. We know that you know, inflammation does play a role in the development of heart disease. And so um, certainly, uh, you know, relative to what everyone else is eating, which is, you know, most of the people are eating the standard American diet, which is mostly processed food, going to an all-meat diet, in my view, and I think the evidence supports that, is going to largely decrease your risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, even, even if it does increase your LDL cholesterol now, uh, you know, with those other factors in there, you can, and, and I, and I tell people, you know, Hey, go get more information, find out what, what type of LDL you're dealing with. Is it oxidized? Is it large versus small particle? Um, are there other things that are going on? You know, is there a net effect? And then I think the imaging is really good. So if you're after, if you're older than 40 years of age, you can get some of those advanced imaging, you know, coronary calcium scans, uh, the uh, angiographies and things like that. So you can just kind of monitor things as time goes by. So you shouldn't ignore it. But at the same time, I mean, I mean, I would even tell you, I mean, Michaela, you can answer this question. If somebody said, Michaela, you, you've increased your risk for heart disease by 20% by going on this you know, crazy new only diet, and you should stop and go back to the quality of life you had before, what would you say? I mean, even knowing you were at increased risk, you probably, I'm guessing you'd say no way, right? Oh, yeah, no. Well, I would say something else was going to kill me a lot faster, even if yeah. I'm at a theoretic increased risk, plus I feel fine. Yeah, but I'm super skeptical about anything now. It's like, no, well, you can judge how you're feeling. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and the skepticism, you know, we, we, you know, all of us have just come through the last couple of years with this pandemic, and we've seen a lot of, yeah, uh, you know, uh, hypo hypocrisy, a lot of, you know, change in our mind. Maybe we got it right, maybe we didn't. And, you know, we're seeing all the backfilling up. And it gives you a sort of a, a sense of, hey, maybe these people don't know what the hell they're doing. And, and they're, you know, some of it they're kind of making maybe. it up. And, you know, you look at that and you and you can see where that's happened in many, many other occasions. I think the nice thing is people are looking at nutrition now and saying, wait a minute, maybe they weren't right about that either. You know, as we're seeing the uh, uh, the, the sort of the push to the plant-based diet and even the insect-based diet, which, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's like insects are disgusting for a reason. You know, <laughs> we don't like to eat them. And it's just one of those things they want to push on us. So 
yes, I think we should be skeptical, you know, and, and, and look at and you take think matters in your own in your own hands and objectively assess things. You know, look in the mirror. I mean, gosh, you know, one of the things I tell people is, you know, I can't, you know, I don't know if the climate has changed. I have no way of really determining that myself. I can't walk outside and say, oh, it looks like the climate's changing because it's raining or it's snowing or it's got hot. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can look in the mirror and I can say, hey, look, I feel better. I, I, you, know, I, you know, everything is better for me. And, and, and no one can hide that from me. You know, no amount of gaslighting is going to uh, make me not understand that I'm healthier, right? And I think that's, I think that's, that's a valid way to do that. Yeah. Um, for transition symptoms from people going from, say, the standard American diet over to the carnivore diet, what is it that you've seen happens to people? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, if you're eating, a, you know, sort of standard American diet, lots of carbohydrates, and you go to a carnivore diet, which is, you know, very little to no carbohydrates, you're going to see some relative, you know, loss of fluid, you know, we're going to see, you know, our insulin levels tend to fall a little bit. And that causes the kidneys to no longer hang on to sodium water. So you end up, you know, becoming relatively dehydrated, uh, you know, particularly in the transition. So some people will recommend uh, increasing fluid and electrolyte. Uh, your bowel movement frequency is going to most likely change. You're now eating food that is now very bioavailable and highly absorbed. So you're just not making as much waste products. So some people see, they'll see a decreased frequency in bowel movements. And some people say, oh, my God, I'm constipated. And that's usually not the case. It's, it's just that you don't have as much waste to get rid of. Uh, those are typically things. Some people, you know, notice a change in their sleep patterns. Um, I find that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've come to discover over the years is, you know, particularly if you're eating a big, large protein-based meal at night, it can interfere with sleep, you know, particularly because you just have to deal with the nitrogen from the protein. And you, you know, the way we deal with that is excreting it through, you know, your substance called urea, and we have to breathe it out, we sweat it out, we have to urinate. And so those things can interfere with sleep a little bit. So you just have to be mindful of that. Um, but really, those are the major things that we see. Some people, energy, I think one of the biggest things is a lot of people tend to under-eat because meat is so uh, satiating and satisfying. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, long-term satiety. So you tend to under-eat. And so you have to realize um, if you're, particularly if you're losing a lot of weight and you're tired and fatigued, you just have to sort of maybe just uh, force yourself to eat a little bit more. That That's a, that's a good piece of advice. Um when I first started the diet, yeah, my hunger cues were completely disorganized. And that was from going from a, like a paleo and then a keto diet. So I was eating very clean for a number of years before I went to carnivore. And when I switched over to carnivore, um, first by like day three, I was just absolutely repulsed by the idea of only eating meat, even though I had been eating steak and salad every meal. Right. So day three, I was like nauseated. I didn't want to touch meat. And I think I had a rougher transition than some people. I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, oh, yeah, wow, week one. And I feel a lot better. But I think because I had an autoimmune disorder and like there was a lot going on, I didn't feel great. I had like my digestion was in rough shape. Um, like I had diarrhea at the beginning. Um, I had muscle cramps around mu month five. That just so after I got over the transition period at around six weeks, I felt quite a bit better. Um, and at month five, I had started getting muscle cramps. And this is before I knew that you could kind of play around with sodium and potassium and magnesium levels. Uh, and I just dealt with it. I was like, nah, I'm not introducing anything. I'm just going to wait. And I had wicked muscle cramps for like a month and a half, um, maybe two months off and on at night, uh, which I think could have been 
fixed with the introduction of electrolytes, but I didn't know anything about that. I was also drinking way too much water at the beginning. I was unbelievably thirsty. So I was drinking like, and I didn't, <laughs> maybe, maybe like four or five bottles of water. My dad had a similar problem where he was just excessively thirsty. Like I couldn't get enough water, um, which I think was also screwing up my electrolytes. It was, it was hard for me to adapt to it. I wasn't, I was under eating and then I was overeating. So I was eating three steaks a day, which is too much for me. Um, and I was like, cause I was having carb withdrawal. So I was craving food, but it wasn't hunger. It was cravings. And I was trying to fill that. It was tricky switching over. And that was just from dropping salad, which seems ridiculous. Like that seems like the last step, but it was tricky. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're thought about, you know, just drinking water, you know, water, obviously you need water to hydrate, but you need to company that with the electrolytes because otherwise once you start to do the electrolytes in your body your body just gets rid of the extra water and so it, it's hard to catch up with that so you have to include a little bit of electrolyte in there but yeah that that often cramping is something that we do occasionally see from from people and you know often it's you know figuring out an electrolyte fluid electrolyte balance is usually what cures that sometimes people are under eating when they see that over exercising under eating mm. not taking in enough calories of fat and those things that I commonly see with, with cramping, but it generally tends to transition away for most people. I mean, it, it went away for me and I didn't even change anything. It was like, so I just suffered. It's like, yeah. wow, my leg's really going at it tonight. And they can hope be, that hope that stops at some point. That's <laughs> yeah, not fun. They can be painful. Yeah, quite painful, yeah. Um, okay, what have you seen for, uh, you must deal with people who have a whole host of disorders, so. What would you say the average person who comes to you, could you like define what they look like? Well, I mean, gosh, at this point, there's a, there's a wide variety. I get you know, professional athletes, you know, I do consultations still, you know, um, you, know, you know, Monday through Friday for an hour a day. So I get all kinds of people. I get a lot of ex, you know, believe it or not, a whole bunch of ex-vegans. I mean, I, you know, 10, 20, 30 year ex-vegans that come in that have just eventually just, you know, found it just didn't work for them. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people with weight loss issues uh, are common, it, you know, as obesity is becoming so common. So, you know, half the population has it. So we see that pretty frequently. I see a lot of people, again, with autoimmune conditions. I see a lot of particularly women with things like hypothyroidism. Uh, we see mm -hmm. um, definitely uh, a not insignificant number of people that have uh, primary gut issues like IBS or the more severe things like you know, Crohn's disease or also colitis, those things come in uh, very frequently. Rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis is another real common one, which, which carnivore diet very effectively treats in many, many, many cases. Uh, a lot of mental health issues. You know, we have a lot of people with depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, even things like PTSD um, that are being, you know, are improved with the diet. In some cases, you know, completely put in remission. So it's been, you know, it's been, I think, in general, good nutrition pretty much fixes just about everything, at least when it comes to chronic diseases. And so it just makes sense. And it plays such a, a significant role in creating the diseases. And we've got, as we see, uh, it, it doesn't take anyone long to figure out if you go out in public, you see so many people that are just, they're all sick. I mean, everybody around you is now sick and it's hard to find a healthy person these days. And it's because we're all eating the same garbage food. Once you, once you eliminate that, a lot of things get better. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, it's interesting too, for things like PTSD, it's something that somebody with PTSD might not consider 
something like nutrition playing a role, right? Especially if you're traumatized from experiences that are traumatizing. Um, but I know I had I had PTSD from um, a couple of hospital experiences um, and then some health issues with my family. And it comes back a bit, especially with the experience getting my dad off of psychiatric medications, which was just like literally almost killed him. It was horrifying. And uh, that was very traumatizing. And I've managed to deal with that because um, of the diet. And if I have a reaction to something, I still do have reactions to something. If I accidentally eat something that isn't carnivore, um, my anxiety skyrockets and those memories come back and I have a difficult time sleeping and everything. But if I'm on the diet, they're not there. So I would urge anybody who's suffering from PTSD that's like actually caused by traumatic experiences to consider the role of nutrition. Because if you're in a calmer state, those memories might not be as haunting. This episode is sponsored by NordVPN. If you're listening to this, you are probably some of the most well-informed and least paranoid people on the planet. But are you too nonchalant about your safety? What about your data? Do you have the same mindset when it comes to keeping your internet connection secure? It's not paranoia if everyone's really out to get you. The main thing about using a VPN is if you're downloading content and you don't want to be caught, you don't have to be paranoid that you'll go to jail because of some archaic law when you're doing so. Just use NordVPN. Your internet service provider also can apparently sell your data to advertisers for a profit, all while forfeiting the idea that people like you have a right to own their online information. You can defend your online privacy by grabbing NordVPN. They have a great deal at nordvpn.com TMPP or use promo code TMPP for 61% off their premium plan and their free anti-malware feature, all with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, I think that's good advice and I, it's, it's you know, it's kind of funny because there was no way a diet could affect PTSD. Well, it, it actually does. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's brain physiology going on in her diet. It impacts everything. And I've seen a, a number of people with PTSD. It doesn't change the fact that the trauma has occurred. You still have to deal with that through other means, but at least putting yourself in a better physiologic state so you aren't so reactive. Um, and, you know, you have a little bit more sense of calmness um, does clearly help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... For people switching onto it, do you recommend they go from the standard American diet directly onto the carnivore diet, or do you do a weaning process, or is it dependent on the person? I mean, yeah, a little bit's going to depend on the person. You know, I think that it, you know I can make an argument for why weaning might make sense because you know some people, particularly somebody who's on a bunch of medications and sick, and, and if you rapidly drop that, they may have some pretty severe uh, transition symptoms enough to where they don't want to do it because they feel so bad. And so I think in those cases. Uh, you know, if somebody's already been on a low-carb or ketogenic-style diet ahead of time, then they generally can just drop right into it. But somebody that's, like you said, on this high-carb, you know, junk food-based standard American diet, then they may find that just reducing some of the some of the carb, the sugar, the grain, you know, the processed foods first, maybe maybe transitioning low-carb, increasing uh, the, the, the high-quality nutrition, steak and eggs and things like that in the diet, and then moving from there, you know, tight tapering down the fiber, taking down the carbohydrates over, you know, four, six week period uh, often makes it a little bit easier for them to do. And, uh, you know, there's other people on the other hand that are, you know, have this severe problem with the way they re relate to food. You know, some people call them addicts to sugary food, processed food, junk food, whatever. And yeah. those are the, you know, they, they can't be moderators. There's some people that can moderate food. 
and many people can't, you know, they, they just, you can't give them a piece of chocolate and eat the whole I can't. bar and six, you know, six pints of ice cream afterwards. So you got to give them up. Yeah. Were, what were you like before the carnivore diet? I couldn't regulate. I couldn't regulate at all. It was crazy. I didn't understand how people could go to a party and have like one piece of pizza or something. And that stuff was killing me. Like I had celiac disease and it was like, it was, it was awful. I think part of it was um, a side effect from the SSRIs. I think that increased my appetite. But even after that, it was like, I get cravings like crazy. If I eat something accidentally, like if I'm at a restaurant and I get hit with something now, all the cravings come back. It's wild. So I wasn't a regulator. Yeah, I, I pretty much wasn't. I mean, I was a big, big human being. I was you know, at some point 6'5", 230 pounds, 300 pounds. I could eat a lot. I would eat, you know, regulate 9,000 calories a day. For, so for me to eat a pint of ice cream, that was an appetizer. I usually eat three or four of them. And, you know, I'd eat a whole pizza. And I'd eat three or four, you know, entrees at dinner. So I, I was always somebody that ate a lot. And now, I mean, I can, I, I have much better appetite control. I'm still, you know, a fairly large person, but um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, the, the satiety that I get from just basically eating meat. And, and like you, I feel best on just meat. When I'm just pure red meat, I feel my best. Now, I do include some eggs and occasionally a little bit of dairy from here and there in my diet these days. Uh, but anytime I want to, you know, like I just want to tighten things up and feel better, I'll just go straight to straight up red meat. And that to me is is the home base. It's the, the place where I feel the best. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um how how do you feel about incorporating organs or uh, supplements on the diet? Uh, well, I mean, you know, and this is something I know there's a lot of people out there talking about the essentiality of organs and things like that. I mean, I don't personally, I don't use organ meats. I don't take organ meat supplements. I haven't for, you know, uh, the whole time I've been doing it. I mean, I've tried some organ meats. I just don't prefer them. I don't think they taste very good in my view. Other people are, you know, other people like them. Uh, the data that we have, you know, the Harvard University study that came out in 2021 showed that organs provided no additional benefit when it came to preventing nutrient deficiencies uh, or symptoms of those. Uh, the study I had, I, I collected data on 12,000 people doing the carnivore. There was no difference in outcomes across the board. Wow. Included supplements or organs versus those that did not. So I don't think the argument can be made that broadly everyone needs to be taking these things. Now, I will tell you that there are individuals that say, hey, I just feel a little better when I include this or that uh, organ meat, typically. I think, you know, if you're going to eat them, just eat the organ meats, don't waste your money on the supplements are overpriced, in my view. Uh, and so you're kind of getting ripped off a little bit. Um, I think that, uh, you know, many people, you know, it depends, I guess you're coming from a, a background where you're extremely, extremely nutrient poor. You know, you've, you've got all these sort of chronic deficiencies. Organ meats can be a way to save sort of bring those things back up. But then most people that do this diet long-term, I'm talking, you know, many, many years, generally routinely don't include organ meats. You know, this is what, you know, I learned when I first started this from people that have been doing it for 10 or plus years, 20 years on. And they're like, you know, a lot of people come and go, they start out, they think they need to eat all the organ meats, they do that for a while. And then they either quit the diet and go out and do something else and go back to doing an omnivorous diet. And there's some people that think that the organ meats actually, for some people, depending on how much you're consuming, can actually be a net negative. Uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, I don't think they're necessary. I don't tell people not to eat them. But I say, you know, if you like them, try them, you know, inc include them, you know, when you, when you want to, but to sit there and think you have to have them to be healthy or quote unquote optimal. I don't think the data really supports that. I think it's confusing for people because you get on a diet where 
well, if you're told you need all these different foods to fulfill all your vitamin needs, and then you switch over to just eating steak, it's like, okay, well, that can't possibly fulfill everything. Maybe, maybe liver gives me a bit of variety, and then maybe I get some vitamins that I'm missing. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, like a lot of people, like this modern carnivore movement can trace its roots in a lot of cases to a guy named Stefan uh, or Bill Mar Stefanson, who was a you know, Canadian explorer who spent all this time up in, you know, up in the Arctic with, with the, the Inuit. And he basically stated, he said, the only thing you need is red meat and enough fat. He said the organ meats were things that we generally gave to the dogs in many cases. Not that they weren't sometimes eating, but he said they weren't necessary. And he'd lived up there with these guys for I think a collective of 12 years. And so this is, you know, from the, from the beginning, uh, I don't think you need them. I mean, I don't use them and I'm not dead. I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I just, I'm, I literally just top, you know, was ranked number one in the world again on, 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 on rowing, you know, as, as Hey, congratulations. I mean, so that's I mean, huge. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing fine. I don't, I don't need to include those things in the diet. So I think it's something that, you know, they're, they're, like I said, uh, I mean, I can understand the, the sort of the narrative, you know, talk about all these tribal people would eat this, but you know, you look at who you're comparing it to. And most of these, you know, modern day indigenous tribes are still around the ones we've had contact with in the last, you know, hundred years or so. They're really poor and they're really living on the fringes and they're living in a subsistence existence. And so they got to eat everything they can come across. Whereas early humans, it can be argued, were living in a time of uh, surplus. And so there are lots of big animals around there literally millions and millions of these giant, you know, mega herbivores, you know, elephants and mastodons and giant, these other giant animals. And, they, and we were very good at killing them. So we probably had lots and lots of meat. If you think about if it, if it, how do we grow this big, big brain from this little tiny thing that these, uh, you know, our previous, our, you know, predecessors, the Arthropisocenes and, and early uh, humans, you know, like Homo habilis and stuff, our brain just continued to grow and grow. That's because we had, constant access to high quality nutrient dense calorie dense foods and this would be you know large animals with lots of large animal fat yeah yeah i love that um i didn't i don't eat liver and neither do my parents so my parents have been on the diet now i started december 2017 um, my mom started in january she hopped on board right away she's really open she's like, okay i'll do it too and then my dad was a bit harder to convince he's like what I also have to drop salad. Like, what? I'm only eating salad. It's really the salad? I was like, yeah, sorry. It's probably the salad. Um, but I think we're also like hyper, hypersensitive from being on medication for years. Like I, I really do think the SSRIs sensitized my brain to carbs when I went off of them. So I was on the paleo diet, everything got better. And I went off of all my medication and uh, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you should definitely not do that for SSRIs uh, or psych meds. Um, and I got light, sens light sensitivity and sound sensitivity and touch sensitivity and temperature sensitivity. Like my, my entire nervous system just was on fire. And, uh, and then I, my reactions to foods were just, it was horrible. It was like pain. Um, I hallucinated a number of times. It was, it was on another level of, bad and i don't think they would have been that severe without being on ssris particularly through my developmental period like 10 years i don't know if you saw michael there's a paper that came out showing that uh you know the the whole premise of ssris was based on the thought that there was this imbalance of serotonin in the brain and it turns out that wasn't even true 
So, you know, you, how many people have been analyzed? And maybe that, has, that mechanism was, was completely made up or, or not based on your data. And so it's kind of interesting to see that. But yeah, you're correct. A lot of these uh, different uh, psychiatric medications, it's, it's, it's a problem if you just drop them completely. You can, you can run into big problems. Yeah, yeah, big problems. I didn't know that at all at the time. Anyway, I know now. So that was fun. Um, okay, so what's your plan with Rivero in the future? Do you have goals? Is it just to spread around awareness? Well, I mean, our goal is, you know, to to grow into a sizable company, you know, a, a significant alternative to the, the standard allopathic thing, allopathic system. And we have, uh, you know, there's several other companies out there that are doing sort of kind of similar things. I think we're unique in the way we, we, we you know, deal with nutrition. Um, our goal is to be a, a very large company, a multi-billion dollar company, a, a company that, that takes care of you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, you know, around the United States and around the world, you know, and, and hopefully to turn this thing around. And we have, a, we have this, you know, looming, and so, well, I mean, I, I would argue that we're already there, but we have this chronic disease healthcare crisis in this country. Mm-hmm. We're not getting better. We're just continuing to get worse. Our life expectancy is going down and the, the prevalence of chronic disease continues to go up. The obesity rates continue to go up. Something has to be done. And so we're going to be a part of that solution. And I think, you know, I mean, so, I mean, obviously we're going to be taking care of patients, but the other aspect of this is, you know, because the question is, well, there's no money in getting people healthy. We often hear that, but I think there is. And I think what we um, uh, find is that when you partner with other companies, you know, let's say you go to a large corporation, say like Ford Motor Company or something, and they're spending a significant amount of their costs go to healthcare for their employees. And you can dramatically cut that, you know, down, you know, as we see, we have people, uh, you know, multi-thousand dollar a month infusions for autoimmune disease. And you can get rid of those things and make these people not need that. That dramatically saves money for these companies. So these companies are incentivized financially uh, to do this, not only for their own bottom dollar or their bottom line, but also for the health and the productivity of their employees. So the employees feel better, the companies save more money. So there is a, you know, you take it away from pharma, you know, they're not going to be happy about this. But, you know, other companies are going to see the net benefit. So we move some of that money from farmer profits into uh, maybe other corporations' profits and their productivity and things that arguably would be better for society. I think, you know, the less people that we have that are medicated, the better, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. That's actually a very good point, that that there actually is a, a need for this just in regards to money, that is a good point because people do talk about the pharma- pharmaceutical companies and how much they make, and they're not incentivized. But yeah, companies are incentivized. I like that. That's good. And employees are probably going to be more productive if they're not stuck on a whole bunch of medication. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, better. You know, happy. It's happier people. You know, you know. And this is the thing. And I know you do a lot of the controversial topics on your show where one person disagrees, and we have a lot of. You know, and it's it's cordial. We have a lot of. Uh, angry, angry people out there. They're really mad at each other. They're mad at life in general. They're generally unhappy. And I think nutrition plays actually a big role in that. You know, when you're, when you're constantly feeling bad and hurt and in pain, you're just in a bad mood all the time. We have so many people that are in bad moods. And when you, when you go car, I don't know about you, but I'm generally just kind of happy and chilled out. And that's my baseline state, as opposed to this, you know, this rapid cycling between rage and you know super normal mm-hmm. and so now when everybody's just happy and chilled out um i think society in general is better 
I mean, I think we can get along better. We can cooperate. We can do things to, to, to you know, the beautiful things humans are capable of, you know, and, and making all these great things rather than just constantly fighting at each other, which I think is, you know, it's it's depressing to see all that, you know, all the people. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's also like you have you have no idea what type of person who's currently suffering from a chronic illness, what they'd be capable of if they were healthy, right? Like if they're not struggling to survive, it's it's heartbreaking, and especially when this diet can help can help so quickly. Like even if you go on a medication, right, with a chronic illness, they go, oh, okay, well, usually it's like six weeks right, to see some sort of result. And for people with autoimmunity going on immune suppressants, they're like, well, this isn't, it's not a cure. Maybe you can achieve a medically induced remission, but it's not like the damage stops, right? Right, yeah, and, and, and the other costs. I mean, aside, I mean you're on a, if you're on an immune modulating drug, I mean, your immune system is being compromised. And so now you're more susceptible to cancer, you're more susceptible to infections and other, you know, maybe it's GI side of it. There's all kinds of side effects that come with these things. And, you know, it's like, I'm trading one side effect to the other and I'm putting myself at increased risk. Whereas diet generally doesn't have those things. And, you know, just, just fixing your nutrition in general, whether it's carnival or something else has a big role. And I think we should, you know, I, I don't know why we're not screaming that from the rooftops, you know, for every chronic disease, including, you know, like this pandemic we just went through, we probably would have suffered way less uh, morbidity and mortality. Had we sort of said, Hey, look, we need more people that just take, this is a good time to maybe get up all the processed food. Uh, and why we didn't do that to me is still, I mean, it's, it's really kind of, you know, very disappointing. Yeah, well, it's hard to, like, I think you have to be pretty driven to take it into your own hands and to start removing foods from your diet, um, especially if you have cravings towards them. Like, um, uh, I've, I don't think everybody can do it. And I mean, if people around them were doing it and there was more kind of societal recognition and their doctor was saying, oh, you should do it, then maybe those people would be pushed. But I think some people have a really hard time removing like good, yummy food. Well, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting. I had someone who, you know, met with me the other day, asked if they could work for my company. And I said, well, what's the motivation there? And she said, I'm, I've been a chemical engineer working for the food industry and my job was to make food addictive to people. And I no longer, oh. no longer can good conscious do this job anymore. It's, 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 I've seen the damage I've done. And so clearly, I mean, the food is literally engineered to be. Wow. And, it, you know, ultimately these people get very sick eating that. And now we have people uh, talking about, you know, I see this is kind of crazy. Now we have people actually advocating that, you know, there's no such thing as bad food. And, you know, you can't have a healthy relationship with food by, by, by saying some foods are bad when clearly some foods are bad for us. I mean, these ultra processed, you know, really just, you know, junk laden foods, which provide really no benefit outside of the hedonistic pleasure are clearly causing health problems. And you see these people with, you know, massive obesity, morbid obesity, out there saying, well, there's nothing wrong with being obese, which is also a problem. I mean, when you have that attitude and that's being pushed forward on none of these poor, uh, vulnerable people that just say, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to be obese. There's nothing I can do about it. And therefore I should revel mm -hmm. and just continue to get sicker and sicker. And that's a real, it's a real problem. Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel about people who say, okay, well, mm, okay, let me, let me preface this. Um, Scarlett, doesn't eat processed foods or sugar, right? And she's in kindergarten now, so she went to school and 
um, she was at camp actually, and they were making some sort of like cookie mix at camp, which I probably would have just pulled her out because if you don't eat cookies, it's kind of torture having a kid make cookies. Like, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that was going on. Anyway, she ate some of the cookie dough, which is something she hasn't had before, and she came back and she was like hyper in a way that I was like. Did you have sugar? Like hyper running around and she's super calm and doesn't do anything. And then at night she goes, she was crying. So she had the like hyperactivity sugar crash and then crying saying, I can't stop thinking about chocolate. Like I can't stop thinking about chocolate. And I was like, that's so sad. I was like, just, you know, go to sleep. It'll probably be gone in the morning. But sometimes when you eat these foods, then they get stuck in your head. Well, it's unfortunate, you know, we have a lot of kids, you know, and this is, you know, a lot of, a lot of teachers and I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, you get a, you get a retreat for being a good kid and student. So here's a piece of candy and we would all do that. And, you know, that's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, if you look at sugar as an, as a drug and some people would, you know, don't, don't, they don't like that analogy, but I mean, if it was a drug and we're saying it's, it's cheap, it's legal, it's everywhere, we're encouraged to, to, to use it. And it's pretty easy to, to, to really get drawn into it and to become quote unquote addicted to it. And like I said, I know people don't, some people don't like that terminology, but I do see people that really struggle with, with these foods and it is tough, you know, cause you know, you, as a, as a parent, you can't 24 hours a day, seven days a week after a certain age, you know, they're, they're going to be off to school and there's other people that are going to have inputs. And so it's challenging. So, I mean, I, I don't know how old she is, but I know with my kids, as soon as they were old enough to kind of comprehend as, as they started to read, I would teach them, you know, the, you know, food has a role on how you feel and how your health is, and these are the things you should try to avoid. And look at look at look at labels on packages and read these things and, and see if that's something you should probably be eating or not. And just uh, kind of teach them that. And again, you know, ultimately they're going to make their own decisions. But as a parent, you know, you set the example for them. They're gonna they're gonna do more what you do than do more what you say. And so I think the biggest thing is is yeah. adults is setting the example in front of them. And, you know, I, you know, I, it always makes me laugh when a parent says, well, my kid's so fussy, I have to give him goldfish and this other garbage. I'm saying there should be no situation where a three-year-old is creating household policy. You're the, you're the adult, you're the parent, you know, the kid will eat what you put in front of them at, at some point, you know, it doesn't matter if they scream and yell, you just have to put up with it. And the problem, like I said, if Scarlett's never been exposed to that garbage and you probably find a much easier kid to deal with once you start Putting that in there oh, yeah. changes, it does change your behavior for sure. And and so you have yeah. to sort of step back. I think, you know, the earlier you intervene, the better, better off it's going to be. You know, it's tough when you have a kid that's 10 years old and has been eating junk food for nine years. And then all of a sudden, said, guess what, Junior? No more, you know, gummy bears and potato chips. They're going to, it's going to be a fight. So, you know, if you can do it earlier. That's going to be a major fight. Yeah, I was thinking about it last night. Like I put her to bed. She's just like... And I don't think it's her. I, th I mean, she's a wonderful person, but I think a lot of it is her diet. I've babysat a lot of kids and there's, I haven't been around a kid that is this calm. It was like, it's just easy. Going to bed is easy. Eating is easy. Everything is super easy. And uh, I think if, you, if you're worried too about having kids, if you feed them properly, they don't have these ups and downs. Like, you know that kid you see at the airport and they're just like on the ground screaming bloody murder. And you're like, what's wrong with that parent? And it might be that they ate sugar all day. And it's, you know, I think most parents would recognize that a bunch of sugar is, is bad for the kids. And, you know, it's kind of funny. A lot of a lot of adults, even as they discover it themselves, like, well, I can't eat this stuff more. It's bad for me. Well, it's bad for your kids, too. 
And, you know, you have to make that connection. And, you know, I, I think getting the kids on board early, is, you're not going to do your kids any favor by making them, uh, you know, addicted to processed foods. And then they have some sort of, uh, you know, disease, chronic disease, mental health disorder. They're not going to love you more because you fed them lots of cake. They're going to love you more. Yeah. And they develop as a young, as a healthy person that doesn't have chronic diseases and feels good about themselves. And so I think you just have to realize that, you know, just because it's easy to, you know, hear some sugar and it placates them for a few minutes, you're ultimately long-term you know, probably doing harm. You know, if nothing else, I mean, just give them a piece of fruit or something like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. kids have to be on a carnivore diet, but they need to be away. There's so much garbage out there that's built as health food. You know, here's, here's an easy granola bar, which is basically processed garbage. So if you can at least stick to natural foods and, you know, make sure they get plenty of nutrient dense animal foods, you know, yeah, those types of things. And if they want a piece of fruit in there, it's probably no big deal. But once you start making yeah. 50% of their diet, goldfish and gummy worms and Doritos and, you know, sugary drinks, you're, you're asking for trouble for sure. Mm-hmm. And with Scarlett, she's not on a carnivore diet. She's on a paleo diet. And I can tell when like by her behavior and she can tell so she's five now and she's actually old enough to kind of look back on her behavior and be like okay that was a little bit weird but she's pretty good with uh fruit now she doesn't eat a lot of fruit and most of the fruits are berries but she'll have pears and apples that doesn't seem to do anything to her mood it's really like has a tiny bit of sugar just a tiny bit of sugar and it's like spike crash right even though you could say well she ate enough berries today that maybe the amount of sugar is equivalent. It doesn't give her the same reaction for whatever yeah, reason. Work differently, right? That's the whole theoretical benefit. One of the benefits of fibers it mitigates that blood sugar response to some degree. So ah, yeah. so yeah, like I said, when you're eating concentrated, purely quickly absorbed sugar, you're definitely going to get a, a rapid change in blood glucose. And whether or not that has an effect on mood. Um, I think most parents would know. I mean, you can tell, like I said, when you come back from grandma's house and they, at least fortunately, your, your, your grandparents probably are not, you know, your parents are probably not feeding her a bunch of sugar, but a lot of, a lot of, a lot of parents struggle no. to come to grandma's house and they come back and they're, they're, they're wild childs or they're crazy. You know, you gotta, you gotta detox them for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, one of the things that I dealt with, and this actually took me two years to figure out that I was dealing with it on the carnivore diet was what I believe was histamine intolerance. So my, my gut was really, um, I probably damaged from celiac disease and whatever else, all the medications I was on, et cetera. And I switched over to only eating steak and almost everything went away and I couldn't get my digestion under control. Not really. And it, after about two years on the diet, and this is with my moods good, everything's good, but my digestion wasn't good. Um, I switched over to eating lamb, uh, and for whatever reason, lamb sat better. And I was like, what is, what is that about? And then it eventually occurred to me that, oh, lamb is aged less. And so then I started eating just meat that was aged less, so veal, and veal sat better. Um, and now I'm back to eating beef because I love beef. Like mm. Beef's my, yeah. veal's pretty good too, but I, I really like beef. Um, and I'm eating beef from a couple of companies that don't age their meat, and I've never felt better. But when I was doing aged meat, like I can't, I can't really eat out um, because it, it hurts my stomach. Have you seen people deal with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some people that have you know histamine reactions, and you and you point out that meat that's been aged, sausages and things like that, sometimes ground beef, can have a little bit higher histamine content. And so, 
Uh, absolutely. You know, and it's it's uh, one of those things that depending on who you go to for your media, they may hang it and age it for several weeks typically, but some of it's very short. So you can, like when I was, I was just in uh, uh, Bosnia over the summer for part of the summer and we had lamb and literally it was like, the lamb was literally slaughtered that morning, the same day. Yeah. And it was just kind of an interesting way they do it in different places that you have access to such you know, fresh, yeah. fresh meat. Yeah. Not common in the United States or not as common. Yeah, in the U.S., really, uh, in particular, I, I went to Croatia. And so one of the ways that really solidified this, like, oh, it's not beef that's upset in my stomach, it's the aging process was I went to Croatia and I was buying beef, which was like $3 a pound in the local grocery store. And it was a different color kind of than America. It was like dark red. And I was like, this looks like it's going to be very difficult to eat. <laughs> and it it was really good, um, but it turns out they they just weren't aging it. They were kind of just killing the cow and giving it to you. And I could eat that just fine. And I was like, oh wow, it's it's the aging process. Do you think that's an actual allergic reaction to histamine? Do you know what's going on there? Do you have any theories? Oh uh, well, you know there, you know we we get this histamine response, and so I mean that's that's a you know, histamine compound we have in our body. That's why. So it's called antihistamines are, are developed. And so, uh, and I can't say for sure, because I don't think we know what exact compound is, is leading to that. Um, you know, there's things called diamine oxidase inhibitors, DAO that uh, will advocate as a, as a supplement to help with this stuff. But I don't know that it's been well characterized. I still haven't seen, I just see people that do better when they switch off aged meat. And I was also in Croatia, so I was just going to, Say that we went to Dubrovnik and spent some time. Yeah, that's where I was. That's fun. Uh, My mom, so my mom was diagnosed with lupus while my family's like crazy. I don't know. It's amazing that we're all still alive at this point, but that's credit towards diet. But uh, my mom was diagnosed with lupus and she still has dry eyes. So she uses drops, but she doesn't have any arthritis or any other, other symptoms on the diet. She's been using because she had major histamine issues, worse than me. Um, and she's had celiac disease for years as well. And she started using DAO and that helped her digestion. The other thing that she's been using um, was low dose naltrexone, which has also helped her digestion. Um, but she, she was quite like a couple of years ago, she had, um, she had kidney cancer and like she's yeah. been, she's been through the ringer, um, but she's on the diet and with the diet and low dose naltrexone and this DAO for histamine issues, um, she's doing really well, like better than she has been. Um, I tried taking low dose naltrexone because I've, I've constantly tried to reduce my sensitivity so I can reintroduce foods or at least so that if I go out to eat, I don't accidentally get hit with something and I'm out for a week, which is really inconvenient. Um, and I couldn't tolerate low-dose naltrexone. It didn't make me feel good. Like none of these things make me feel good, but they worked for her, worked for her. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we know that, you know, naltrexone is typically used for opioid uh, overdose. I mean, that's what you give to somebody that's, and, and so it does have an effect on a lot of these receptors, which initially, you know, have, have an effect in the gut. So I, I'm not, like I said, it's not something that I've had a lot of experience with naltrexone, but I don't, I'm not surprised by that. And it's good for her. And it's good to see your, your whole family has sort of come through the worst of it. And is now it looks like they're doing, everybody sounds like they're doing pretty well right now. Oh yeah. Fantastic. Doing great. Uh, 
dad's doing amazing. Like he's off of everything. Um, he has been for a while. So he's touring around and has like endless energy. Uh, like a, it's crazy actually the amount of energy that man has. Um, but he needs it. it was really, he needs the energy to, to fight the what he's fighting against. So, oh, I know he does. It's good. It's good. He has it. But, um, he had, it was just getting him off of the, um, the psychiatric medications. It was just awful. And I talked to so many people that are just like dying, getting off of these things. It's brutal. Yeah. I'm glad he's still through it. We're through it. Got through it. And hopefully we'll just continue to progress and, and continue to stay healthy. Yeah. Here, here's a theory. Okay. So like I said, I'm constantly trying to reduce sensitivities and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Here's a recent theory I've had that I'm giving a test and I'll keep you updated on how it goes. But I'm, I moved to Tennessee. Um, I moved to Tennessee and you can see by previous podcast ads, my face is puffy. My tree allergies were crazy in Nashville and, um, really like crazy enough that I was starting to feel like I was getting ill constantly. So I had bronchitis. Um, I was tired all the time. My face was puffy and I started getting joint pain and I was like, what is going on? Uh, is this from the tree allergies? Like just systemic inflammation from tree allergies. Um, I had asthma, like it, it wasn't good. Um, and, and Tennessee has really terrible tree allergies and I moved and, and solved that. But I'm wondering if, um, I'm so allergic to the environment because I've got like food allergies and I'm allergic to everything that grows outside. I'm wondering if the reason I have such hypersensitivity to all plant foods um, is cross reactivity from different types of pollen. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, because, you know, those, those same plants have some, some similar compounds, you know, there's, there's some that are common to, many plants so that so it could be that you know constant exposure to these things could have sensitized you to other things that are that are also found in, in plants so that it, i mean i suppose that's realistic now you moved out of tennessee or are you are you still in tennessee yeah well scarlet was getting bronchitis all the time too and then i had her allergies tested and she has like terrible allergies as well and i was like why would i be living in nashville if i work online if I don't have to. So I'm in Miami now, oh, okay. which is nice. fantastic. Yeah. I'm not allergic to palm trees. So I was in Florida this weekend. I was on the other side of the state. I was near uh, uh, Tampa. So I'll be, so I think I have to come to Miami in November. So hey, well, good for you. It's a nice place. Yeah, it's, it's definitely this. It's, it's lovely. You were in Toronto before, right? So you got a huge change in the weather for sure. Yeah, but so much better. I felt like I, I was, um, Actually, I haven't had my vitamin D tested in a long time. I'm going to do a whole panel after like five years of carnivore just to see, just to see and to show people that I'm not dying. Um, but I living in Canada was rough. I felt it in the winter time, so it's pretty nice to live somewhere where there's sun. Has, has the rest of your family moved to, or are they still up in Canada? They're still up in Canada, but they're going to be spending the majority of the, their time in Florida now. I've convinced them. It's like it's nice and it's sunny. Why wouldn't you be here? Hey, my TEDx talk, I don't know if you know this, um, I did a TEDx talk just about my experience and then they wouldn't publish it and I put it on YouTube and it has like 3.5 million views or something. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? I remember you saying that they refused to show it. I thought it was just, you know, obviously it's nonsense and we have this sort of, uh, and I, you know, I keep getting censored and, you know, shadow ban and this stuff just because they don't, I, I don't. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Actually about the shadow banning. Okay, so I wanted to invite you on 
um, to talk to you because of the five-year on the carnivore diet thing. And I was typing your name into Instagram. And because usually when people are like, oh, I've been shadow banned, I'm like, yeah, but have you been shadow banned? Or do people just not like your posts anymore? I'm not sure if it's real shadow banning. And I couldn't type your name in like long enough. I had to type your entire name in to press on your username. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> You know, they, you know, it's the stuff that they say is problematic. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I posted something about the World Economic Forum, which was purely a satirical post. It was just like, you know, how in 2030, we're going to be eating all these you know, bugs and upcycled humans. And it was clearly satire. And they said, well, that's misinformation. I'm like, it's satire. It's meant to be funny. And they're saying it's misinformation. And therefore, we're going to you know, limit your reach, apparently. And so it's 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 it's. It's kind of crazy. I mean, wow. I thought I was hoping after the COVID nonsense went away, uh, we would stop doing this. But there, it's just the, the agenda, the climate change, uh, the you know the the you know save the planet, eat the bugs. You know, if you go, if you oppose that, you know, there's people that don't like it, and they just want to continue to limit who you can get this information to. But the nice thing is, it's getting out there anyway. I mean, it's grassroots. People are finding out. Yeah, and they're, they're never going to stop it because. So many people are out there. You know, you can't swat a million mosquitoes. You know, you can knock down a few few people, but there's just too many people that know about this stuff now. Thankfully for all of us that have got out there and shared the message, and I encourage everybody to let people know about this because it is so important. Yeah, but the shadow, it's it's a you know, it's it's sad to see the the, the you know discussion being shut down. You know, there are a lot of people I disagree with, but I would never say they shouldn't be allowed to have a platform or a voice. You know, I don't, I don't care what you, what you're talking about. I mean, I don't know. I think freedom of speech is one of the tenets upon which free societies are, uh, you know, are based upon. And once we start losing that, we go into a very, very scary place. Yeah. Yeah. And social media can be very helpful for people, even just from a health perspective, like the groups you can be a part of and the people you can meet, you can be support that you don't have in real life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, you know, I mean, I've seen now tens of thousands of people that have literally dramatically improved their quality of life by just, you know, some of the information I've shared and some of the other folks. And so to shut that down is really a disservice to all of those people and potentially to millions and millions of people. Because, you know, like, for instance, if I would never been allowed to speak or somebody else and you never found out about it, you'd still be you know, with horrible joint pain and all these other things going on and maybe at other no, No, I would have dropped it. I would have dropped the salad. And I think, I think like six weeks, I was getting a lot of, but I had already been there. I was at like chicken wings, meat and lettuce. And at some point I would have been like, that's it. I'm going to one variable and just reintroducing back in. But I was scared and I was getting a lot of um, pushback from my Mm in-laws about like child abuse it was very unpleasant. It was like, oh, you're already not eating enough. Like, are you producing enough breast milk? It was really aggressive. And I think that combined with the anxiety caused by the autoimmunity, I was like, I don't know, got to keep this lettuce. Well, and this is saying it's, you know, because so many people don't know this, you know, they, they, all they're doing is, you know, sort of parroting what they think is correct. And unfortunately that's, you know, that's wrong if, and you end up uh, kind of, uh, you know, doing things that you, you know, later regret. I mean, because obviously, you know, Scarlett is healthy and happy and doing well, and she was clearly fed well, and she's clearly thriving, you know, at least from what I can see when you share stuff about her on your social media. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, people that are, that are you know, just 
continuing to uh, be misinformed. And unfortunately, the sort of mainstream media likes to continue to push, push this information out there. You know, you know, again, if you look at every single major media corporation, they have somebody from the farm on their on their board of directors. And so we've got this constant wow. need to be medicated, you know, support the lifestyle that, that, that you know, is conducive to being medicated. So for this um, environmental allergy crossover, cross-reactivity thing, theory that I have at the moment, I'm going to try um, sublingual Im immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of desens desensitize yourself to environmental allergens by exposing your immune system. You know how that works. Um, because the tr even just the tree allergy component uh, is so, like, it's so bad that I'll get asthma if I go through a neighborhood with, like, oak trees, which means traveling, I'm like, When's the asthma attack going to happen? Which can be very unpleasant. I ended up actually in the emergency room in Austin. So this is crazy. And a lot of people I've seen go on the diet, their environmental allergies improve. Um, but I was taking prescription strength antihistamines and immunosuppressants for like 10 years. So I was already near anaphylactic, near anaphylactic towards trees. And so I'm still allergic to them. Um, but I'm going to try the immunotherapy and see if that reduces my overall sensitivities. Which would be interesting, anyway, if there's yeah. a cross reactivity yeah, thing going on. Because but you are right. I see a lot of people. The opposite happens. You know, those people have had seasonal. And yeah, they get better. They're able. Like people that are allergic to cat dander and other things. They just find out. Hey, I don't. I don't have those issues anymore. So, it is interesting. Yeah. That you're having still sort of that. Maybe, well, maybe you've always been allergic to this. It's not worse. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely not worse. Like uh, I remember when I was when I was 19, I was having bad seasonal allergies and I was on immunosuppressants and antihistamines. And I went to the doctor and I had my allergies tested and she was like, oh, you're like, you're really allergic to trees. Um, you should probably wear a mask and goggles for like the months, the summer months. So like the spring you're allergic to this and in the summer and in the fall there's ragweed and there's mold. So like, I recommend a mask and goggles. I was like 19, I was like, I. If I need to wear a mask and goggles to go outside, just kill me. I'm like not meant to be around. Um, so I was already, like I was already super allergic. So I'm not that surprised that I'm still allergic. But uh, I don't have symptoms of autoimmunity or like depression or chronic fatigue or any like rashes or anything. So life is good. Well, I mean, you just tell looking at your face. I mean, you just look healthier. I mean, you just got this sort of, you know, where you just, you can just tell you look healthier than you did even five years ago. So that's kudos to you for, yeah. for doing that, you know. Not, yeah, not being under chronic stress has helped too. Like taking care of my dad was pretty stressful. So I had a rough patch there, even on the diet. Um, stress can, yeah, life can no be way. very I mean, there's, stressful. Like I said, the diet right. is important, but there's other factors that, that do still beat up on your health. And you, you mentioned chronic stress is a huge one and it's important. And so there's, there's other things, diet is huge. It's important so you can't overlook that but you know there's other things that still occur life still happens and so but being more resilient being able to um, you know bounce back and, and, and fight through those things is a lot easier when you when you've got good nutrition on board for sure yeah um how old are you if you don't mind me asking i am uh 55 soon to turn 56 so i'm still you know still hanging in there i guess i i i, I uh um, just, you know, from for people to ask, you know, I've had my heart scanned. I had zero, zero evidence of any heart disease. You know, I'm still performing at a world-class level as an athlete. You know, one of the things I'm doing, I just, I'm at, back into doing jujitsu. Last night I was wrestling with a 
pound division one college wrestler. <laughs> you know, so it was little, that's so cool. A little sore from that today, but you know, that's, that, that's okay, but I can still do it. You know, and that's, that's a nice thing. And I think the diet has helped me uh, enormously in the ability to continue to, to feel and perform good, even though I'm, you know, kind of an older guy at this point, but I, I tend to think that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, just sort of common beliefs around aging that we're just going to all going to get fat and have joint pain and, you know, all these types of things that we see, that's all mostly unnecessary. I mean, I think there's, there's so many, I think so many people are prematurely aged and obesity is one of the biggest signs of premature aging. And that's what happens in your, your system is put under so much stress. And uh, so I uh, gosh. I am, uh, I'm just very thankful I found this, you know, I did, I found it when I was almost, you know, my late forties, which, you know, if I, if I had found it at your age and, you know, in your twenties or I think you were in your twenties when you found that, you know, you just have so many better years of, of quality of life, which is, which is really neat. Yeah. Well, I honestly don't think I would be around if I hadn't found diet. Like I, I went to the paleo diet in 2015 and I was on like seven medications and I was like keeping myself alive with like Adderall, you know, like an immune suppressants and antihistamines. And I, and my joints were disintegrating. And I think if you're at the point where your joints are like, oh, is my wrist going to go like next year? Like if you're at that point, I don't know how much longer you have. Like, I don't think I would have lasted very long. So I'm thankful. Yeah. There's, you know, I, like I said, I think, the, you know, cause you mentioned, you know, the Adderall and some of the other medications affect your mental health. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of a guy named Dr. Chris Palmer, who's at Harvard. And he's seen a lot of success with ketogenic diets, carnivore diets and getting people, you know, off depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, uh, interesting guy. So I'm just giving you an idea for something they want to, they want to, reach out to okay doctor. he's a great guy he's at harvard he's at harvard yeah he's a great guy to talk to him, so. cool okay i will talk dr. to him yeah there should be dr chris palmer okay that's that's cool yeah no it's good to talk to people about mm -hmm. alternatives i mean i know they've been using ketogenic diets to treat epilepsy since forever but then they came up with anti-epileptics and that's like oh it's a pill it's a lot easier than right. restricting yourself and it has all the side effects and turns you into a zombie and all those other things that these yeah. medicines do. So, yeah. so it's, 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 it's exciting times. I think there's a lot of people who are waking up to uh, the fact that nutrition has such a role. That's why, you know, the company, the timing of the company as well. And again, a lot of people, again, there's a lot of people questioning things, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, with the, uh, uh, the pandemic, a lot of people are just questioning whether we're being led the right way. So I think it's, I think the net effect of that is good. More people are sort of realizing that there's other things out there that they should perhaps be pursuing. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Sean Baker, uh, if people are trying to find you online, even though you're shadow banned, where should they go? Yeah, well, I mean, so Twitter, you, you know, I'm on Twitter, S Baker MD. You can find me there. I'm not shadow banned there. I'm on YouTube. I got a YouTube channel, Sean Baker MD. Um, I, I've got a TikTok channel, which I'm almost embarrassed to say, but it's also Sean Baker MD. And then my, my Instagram, which is my largest account is, is currently being shadow man. So you can find me, you have to type in my full name, Sean Baker, one, nine, six, seven. You basically have to type the whole damn thing and find me right now. Yeah. Hopefully we can get that shadow man lifted or I may to start, I may have to start a new page. You know, I don't know, kind of a pain if I do, but Whatever. I mean, it's got, you just have to kind of keep fighting the fight, fighting the good fight to get the information out there because I know we're, we're helping people. And kudos for you and Michaela for being willing to continue to talk about this. I know you don't have to at this point, but 
um, you know, I mean, you're, it's literally saving lives and helping people. So, so thanks for having, thanks for having me on and giving me the opportunity and continue doing what you're doing and give my best to your family and uh, keep fighting a good fight. Thank you. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing too. Uh, the reason I, the reason I started the podcast and I've said this before, but I was like this diet, I'm like, I'm very thankful for this diet. Like, this diet saved me and I was living in hell for a very long time. Um, and so I was like, how do you, how do you get more people to learn about a diet? I was like, okay, maybe I'll start a podcast, but I won't, I won't focus on the diet. I'll just like talk about the diet every like six or seven months yeah. so that it, it can grow, but I'm not going to like alienate people from being in this weird little like niche carnivore. So that's the long-term goal. Yeah. Just spread this around, yeah. save people. It's great to see you be successful and uh, you know, wish you continued growth and on and on. And like I said, I think at the end of the day, good will triumph over, over evil. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for what you do too. Thank you very much for coming on. Mm -hmm.